God is good. Amen? Amen. This morning we get to continue uh, reflecting on the goodness of God and on the life that He invites us to, the rest that He has for us, specifically looking at the area of family, looking at some of our most intimate relationships. God invites us to peace and flourishing in all areas of our lives. And this morning, as we look at one of these most intimate areas of our lives, I want to just begin with the acknowledgement that uh, because family, our family relationships are so intimate, are also the place where our hearts are the most tender, where it's easiest for us to, uh, and mo- easiest for us to feel pain and where we most quickly uh, feel pain and worry. And so our focus this morning uh, could be many different things. What we're not going to talk about this morning is the pain that other people cause us within our family. What we are going to talk about it from God's Word is Jesus' uh, call and exhortation to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount about in the midst of broken situations, what can we do as individuals? What can we do as Christians, as followers of Jesus, uh, despite the pain within our families and often the worry within our own hearts? So, we're going to open up God's Word from the Sermon on the Mount, beginning with Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read verses 25 through 34. Therefore, I tell you, Jesus says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are they, are you, not much more valuable than they? Can, you, can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor nor spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all of his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? you of little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans, people who don't know God, run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So far, the reading of God's Word. So this morning, I want to start this message by talking to you young people. We already sent the, the kids out, so we've got, we've got the young people left. Most of, uh, most of you, even most of us, even as young people, we know the stress that can happen in families. So I want to let you young people in on a little secret as we start. Did you know that the adults here, whatever age we are, almost all of us look back on our childhood, on your age, and we remember those days with fondness. Even when there were difficult times in our lives, even uh, when we had great suffering or pain, we look back on our days when we were young people, and those are special, cherished memories. 
We smile at who we were when we see you when we were your age. When we look back as adults on our youth, we think that we see ourselves more clearly. And maybe we do. At least we see clearly some of the things that we've learned. And we want to share them with you as young people. If you don't think that's true, ask a parent or ask some other adult what they remember about being your age. Almost certainly there's some really good and special memories there. All this to say, young people, that this is why your parents are always telling you stuff. Even telling you to do stuff. In short, it's because they love you. They want you to have an even better life than they did. They want you to have an even better future than they do. Let me put this another way, maybe. I know that when adults ask you to do things, especially when your parents ask you to do things, it feels like a burden. It feels annoying or maybe disruptive. And you don't understand or maybe you don't care why you should do it. But do you know who never nags you? Somebody who doesn't care about you at all. Somebody who doesn't care about you will never bother you. They'll simply give you, they won't even give you a second glance. They'll just move on. Young people, I want you to know that your parents and other adults care for you and even that they worry, that we worry about you. Again, if you don't think that's true, you should ask them. Adults see that the culture that you are growing up in, the world you're growing up in as young people is different from theirs. You have different choices to make. You have different priorities than they did. Life has been different to you than it has been to previous generations. Your parents get that in a way that you don't. Your life will continue to feel totally normal all the time because it's yours. And at the same time, it will feel totally strange to them. Young people, that's it. You can go check out. No, that's not quite true. If you don't hear anything else today, though, I want to encourage you as young people to check in with an adult who cares about you, to ask them some of those questions, to encourage them in uh, knowing that you care for them, that you're interested in what they think. And perhaps they might encourage you as well. But as we continue in this sermon, I want to note that obviously, talking just about children and parents uh, isn't all of our situation and doesn't even, begin to accomp- uh, to, it doesn't even begin to talk about all the relational pain that we feel. Not all of us are parents. We're single people who feel the pressure from friends or from family. We are people who have no children and others keep asking when. We are siblings who rub up against one another's priorities. We are sexual minorities who feel we don't fit anywhere. We are grandparents who long for more time and more influence to bless those we love. We are immigrants from another place where everything feels strange. We are a spouse who struggles with our partner's choices. The list goes on and on and on. In each and every case, there's an opportunity for some new and different permutation of worry. But worry always goes something like this. 
where he begins by saying, well, the way that they are doing things is different from me, painful for me, or strange to me. I don't understand it. I don't like it. I don't trust it. So I worry. Does that sound familiar? When you think about the person who is, or the people who have captured your heart, the people who are most important to you and also perhaps cause the most pain. They're doing things different from me. It's painful for me. It's strange to me. I don't understand it. I don't like it and I don't trust it. So I worry. Again, there's many parts and pieces that we could focus on in this sermon, but I, uh, I don't want to set aside the pain and the hurt that others may cause us or cause you as an individual. But I do want to focus just on that one piece, that piece of worry for the rest of the sermon, the piece that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. So with that, let me ask you a question as you think about that person or people who you care about most and maybe also those who you worry about most. What if? What if that person or those people did exactly what you do, exactly the way you do it, what, what then? There was going to be one more thing, but I forgot it. What if the person or the people that you care about, they did exactly what you do, exactly the way you do it, and exactly why you do it? Wouldn't that actually be a bigger concern? They wouldn't then be their own person. They would just be a carbon copy of you. And if you ask my wife, one Adrian is enough. We don't need two running around. We worry because we want to change, guide, or shape the lives of the people that we love. And we can't the way that we want to. Worry, in other words, begins in a good place. Always, often, or often, almost always begins in a good place, a place of love and care and concern, but often ends in a bad place. We can't see the whole of the person whom we care for. We can't even fully understand ourselves. But brothers and sisters, only the love of our God and Father is perfectly able to change and to guide and to shape our lives because only He sees the whole of our lives and loves us wholly, fully. There's one reason why we express that or why we experience that stress and worry within our family relationships. And it's often, or why that worry within our family relationships is because we're focused too much on ourselves, right? Remember that sentence up above, I don't like it, I don't understand it, I don't trust it. We can very quickly become too focused on ourselves. The ways of other people seem weird to us, their preferences are strange, they like different music, or they they prefer different food, they treat authority in ways that are uncomfortable to us. They don't even talk to us at all sometimes, just ice us out. And so we think to ourselves, why can't they just do it my way? And that is the beginning of worry. I don't like it, I don't trust it, I don't understand it. Why can't they just do it my way? We're afraid and uncomfortable because others don't always do things my way. They don't even believe in God my way or practice their faith my way. So we begin, we, we begin to be worried, and then very quickly we begin to be judgmental. 
This is why Jesus continues in the Sermon on the Mount, moving from worry in the passage that we read. The next verses that we're not looking at are about judgment. If we're too focused on ourselves, we begin first to worry and then to judge others. But the wisdom of God in Proverbs offers us a better way, even in the midst of a broken world. Proverbs was written to the Israelites in a very dangerous and uh, bloody time in history. And the the writer of Proverbs says, well, he says this in chapter 1, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise knowledge and understanding. In other words, focusing on God is the beginning of wisdom. But why, would, why do you despise knowledge and understanding? Because you're focused on yourself and you don't want to listen to the wisdom or the experience that others have. Jesus says much the same thing in today's passage. He says, seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness and all these other things will be given to you as well. We know as Christians that sin takes our focus away from God and puts it on ourselves. And yet we tend wrongly to think that Jesus' words here and in other places are just to us as individuals to help us become better people, to encourage us not to worry so much. But Jesus is not saving us from our sin to help us focus our lives just on ourselves. Jesus intends to make us contributors to his family. Put another way, C.S. Lewis says, Jesus Christ is not making, quote-unquote, nice people. Jesus is making new men. Jesus wants to transform every part of you. Not just for your own sake, not just for your own enjoyment or your own pursuits, but for his glory and for his kingdom. Jesus' love for us and the Holy Spirit's work in us is a profound gift from God the Father to His people, to us as individuals, and to us as a church. If that's true, if it's true that the Holy Spirit is God's gift to you as an individual, then it's also true that the Holy Spirit is God's gift to the person sitting next to you, the person on the other side of uh, the, the aisle from you in, in every or in every sense of the word. All of our relationships are gifts from God because we are all God's children. Older or younger, regardless of the place or the position of our birth, we're all individuals with different abilities, priorities, hopes, and dreams. Add to that our different ethnicities and genders, different generations. God loves us each in specific ways in different ways. And he's working through each of us and all of us in different ways. But he has one goal. And his goal is to lead all of us together toward himself. See, if the problem of sin is self-focus, then it's really important for us to realize that everyone else is truly God's child as well. Because when we see others as God's children too, then we change our starting point, or we can change our starting point. When we see someone who's totally different from us in all the ways that are most important, in all the ways that annoy us and make us worry, and then when we recognize that this person too is beloved by God, 
This person too, Jesus is drawing toward himself in the, in the way that's best for them. When we see that, we begin to see that God doesn't force us to go a certain way. If God forced us to go a certain way and always begin at the same point, then all of us would look the same, act the same, we'd have the same strengths, but also we'd have the same weaknesses. Instead, God walks alongside us in love, whoever we are. Whatever winding path we find ourselves on, he walks alongside us in love and always draws us closer to himself. So that the closer we draw to God, the closer also we draw to one another. As children, we're not always intentionally rebellious. That's true also for us as adults, as children of God. Put another way, we don't always consciously choose to worry or choose to feel upset or, or uh, to be in the situation we find ourselves in. Often we feel torn. We're, to, we're in a painful situation or we're, we're worrying because we're torn between cultivating a strong relationship with someone we care for and pursuing our own choices or preferences. We know that God teaches us some things through parents, through family, through others who we love and respect. We long to follow God's leading in our own way, personally as well. Kids are often okay with a parent's recommendation or instruction when we, when we as children, when we think it's fair, we understand it. And especially when we can still express that, well, I don't like it, but I'll do it anyway. As children, we need room to experiment, to learn, to grow, to grow through doing, Right? We have to realize that there are consequences to our actions. We have to realize that what mom and dad are calling us to do is actually maybe what's best for us. We learn through doing. And as we get older, this remains true of our relationships with others and our relationship with God. It takes time for us to hear God's voice and understand his instructions. It takes time for us to test whether we think God's will or God's guidance is fair for us. Or for others. And it takes energy and commitment for us to share what we think and how we feel openly with God without worry or fear of consequence. And if it takes time for us to express our hearts and our thoughts fully to God, then it takes even more time to share openly and honestly with others. If we don't understand one another, if we don't take the time to listen to one another, it becomes really hard to get close. We might think, oh, I know my parents well. Or we might think to ourselves, oh, I know my child well. I've known him since, since day one. But we never know each other as fully as we might think. We need to take time to truly listen, to see, to experience the world through one another's eyes. Think about the one that you love or the person you care about person who causes the most worry? What are their struggles? What are his hopes? What is she proud of and why? When we begin to know one another, then we can sense how others feel even if we disagree. And we begin to serve them simply by caring for them and making room for them to express themselves and to journey closer with us and closer to God. And so in all family relationships, 
when we, we will do our best when we adopt, adopt that posture of service and service in love. Parents serve their children as they serve the Lord. Husbands serve their wives. Children serve their siblings, on and on. God shows us the perfect love of a father through his service to us. The perfect love of any family member. The perfect love of the father that Jesus talks about here is shown, not just described, but shown in the example of the birds. Right? The birds go around and they do their thing. They do what they're created to do because their heavenly father cares for them and gives them what they need. So they don't have to focus on themselves. Likewise, the flowers are beautiful because they bend to serve God's created order. Flowers don't exist or they're not beautiful or useful for themselves. They serve a larger purpose. And God cares for them, even for days or a few weeks, as they grow up and then wilt. And God invites you to be far more than birds and flowers in his kingdom and in his family. God invites you to be a partner with him, to be a brother, a sister with Jesus Christ, to receive his love, to reflect his glory back to him and others. This perfect love of God is in the Bible always described as sonship. Not because it's only for men or only for some people, but because in Jesus' day, the sons were the ones who inherited the the blessings of their father. And so when the Bible says that we have the inheritance of sons, it's saying that whether we're young or old, male or female, wherever we come from, when we know Jesus, we receive the inheritance of our heavenly father. What is that inheritance? What is the perfect love of the father? The Bible shows us that God's love is self-giving. That God's greatest gift to us, his greatest inheritance for us, is himself. That God sacrifices himself. That his love is focused on sharing himself with others as an overflow of who he is. God loves without needing return. He has no evil to share, but instead is the source of all good and even the source of life itself. In the Gospels, we see the perfect love of Jesus here in our text and in other places. Jesus is completely committed to his Father and yet also focused on sharing himself with others and loving the way his Father loves. Jesus' life is an outflow of God the Father's love to him and through him. Jesus shares God's glory His healing power, God's honor, God's love. He's even willing to die a shameful death so that we might share in the Father's love as well. That we might receive God's healing power, know His honor, and experience His life. It's no accident that Jesus emulates the love of His Father. Jesus is shaped by the love of his Father. And the Holy Spirit, in the same way, fills us with God's power and with God's love. God is forever giving, forever loving, forever serving. The most beautiful way that I can picture this for you came to me in a poem this week that I read that I thought was just overwhelming. And so if you're the kind of person who likes to close your eyes, I just invite you to close your eyes and listen to this. 
The words will be also on the screen if you want to read them along. Even after all this time, the Son never says to the earth, you owe me. Look what happens with a love like that. It lights the whole sky. Have you been lit, lit up by the light of the sun? Have you been filled with the glory and the light and the love of God? Paul says in Ephesians 1, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He chose us in Him, in Christ, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will, to have the inheritance of sons, whoever we are, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves God freely gives to us. Not only for us, but to show His grace, to draw us close to Himself, to shape us, to become like Him, to light up our lives. And so it's no accident that He reveals Himself first as Father, first with family language. We can't understand God fully, as individuals, we can't see every part of him, but he shows us, excuse me, he shows himself to us using a picture, one aspect of him that we can know. And then he reveals himself as well in community so that we can see him more clearly as we get to know and love others. We need others to reflect other parts of the light of God that he shares with us. It's for this reason that we have elders and deacons, that we have leaders in our church. Our leaders, as we said earlier, are the ones who stand up front, who serve in the trenches, who in many ways show us another picture of the love of God. And each of them, each of our leaders, our our council leaders, those leading on the Mosaic ministry team, pastoral care elders, our service deacons, each one of them shows us a different piece, a different aspect, a different picture of the character of God. Together, we see God more fully, but we need to see Him together. This is why Cyprian, one of the church fathers in the early church, says he, a person, cannot have God as his father who has not the church as its mother. In other words, we need both. Outside of the family of God, we are orphans. But within the family of God, we are brothers and sisters, co-heirs with Christ, Scripture says. So brothers and sisters, if you're a Christian, God did not save you so that you could devote yourself to yourself. That's the way that we live before we know God. That's the way that we live apart from God when we're tempted toward worry. Our life becomes focused on ourselves. God does not desire that you focus your energy on those same life-sucking worries and priorities that you had before Him or have 
without him. God doesn't want you to leave this place unchanged and he doesn't want you to walk in relationship with him and his people unchanged. Instead, he calls us to be his family, to have the church as our mother, to use Cyprian's word, but to be a part of his family. And even at this size, River Park Church, if we're going to call ourselves a family, then we need to use the extended family language, I think. Right? Because we can't know each other all intimately as a brother and sister might. So as we close, I want to just give you one more picture. Because I think extended family, without the Holy Spirit, actually means more stress, doesn't it? And more worry. Extended family, apart from the Holy Spirit, means the uncle who says weird things to us that we don't know what to deal with. It means the grandchild whose choices we don't understand and we don't have the ability to do anything about. Apart from the Holy Spirit, an extended family means more stress and more worry. But because of God's love for us, an extended family of God means more and more windows into the character of God. It means more and more experiences of diverse gifts and passions and abilities. Different paths toward Jesus all being brought together under one big and beautiful tent as part of one big and ever-expanding family. It means, extended family means that God gives us more and more opportunities to trust Him with the differences we see and to trust Him with our whole lives. More and more opportunities to see His glory, to taste His love and to marvel at His light and His goodness. Let's close in prayer and thank God that he was not too busy to reach out beyond his own family, but instead adopted us as his sons. Let's pray. Father God, we rejoice that we can call you Father because whether we have a wonderful relationship with our earthly fathers or a difficult one, we can call you Father because you have given us the inheritance of your children. You have filled us with your love. You have shared with us your honor and your goodness. You have covered over our shame. Your blood has washed away our sin. We thank you, Jesus, that you are our model, our goal, and our comfort. That because of you, we don't have to worry about tomorrow, but instead can rest in your love today. Thank you that you give us so much that we don't have to keep it for ourselves, but can even share your love with others. That we can reflect the sun so that the sun might shine through us and others might see and celebrate and praise you too. Holy Spirit, meet us in this moment as that person who we care about most, who we worry about most, continues to weigh heavy on our hearts. God, we know that We cannot see them in whole. We see just in part. But we know that you can. And so if we are to lift up, or if we are to give up our worrying, Lord, then we must give them to you and entrust them to you. So Heavenly Father, we always pray, do what we cannot do. Heal what we cannot heal. Lead where we don't know where to go or how. And fill us And through us, others, 
with your spirit, your love, your power, and your light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.